Well, good morning. We are grateful that you are here this morning. We're thankful for the chance to study together, thankful for the chance to be together. Uh, we have a great day planned. We hope that you can be a part of any and all of it, including our lunch here in just a few moments, and then certainly our celebration for our graduates uh, this afternoon. We are thankful for them and want to encourage them. Look forward to spending the time to, some time together this afternoon, and we're thankful that you have chosen to be here this morning as we study together. I want to say thank you for just a moment to all that had a part in the funeral service yesterday uh, for Steve Fugit. Appreciate all those who helped uh, provide food and those who could be here to support Debbie in that. I know she was very thankful for that, and we had a, um, a time here where we could uh, remember Steve and, and, and try to give honor to Debbie and, and all that she's done for so many, and we're thankful for that and thankful to all of you who had a part in that. Uh, we do have a few visitors with us this morning. We're thankful that you're here. I don't know if we count Frank Williams as a visitor or not. Many of you know Frank for a long time. Uh, Frank is visiting with us on purpose this morning, though, just a little bit. Uh, Frank has work, works with Latin American missions, and uh, several of you have been out of the country before uh, with those kinds of trips, and we know uh, that due to the pandemic, a lot of that was shut down for a while, and so, uh, but Frank is here to, to meet with our elders for just a few moments after services, but I always want to make mention of that and, and encourage him and the work that's being done through Latin Latin American Missions. Uh, they have a, a web page and a Facebook page. You can always find out information there if you'd like to. Have trips that are already planned all summer. Uh, folks that are in uh, different places, Panama and places already. Some trips have already been happening, so we're thankful for the good work that goes on in those Latin American countries and uh, honored to have Frank and Glenda with us this morning and thankful to all of our visitors for being here. If you have your Bibles, if you would be turning to the book of John, in particular John chapter 21. At the end of John, in John chapter 21, we have what I consider to be one of the most interesting, fascinating scriptures in all of the Bible. Not because it's the most important, we might say, when it comes to the idea of salvation or, or what it means to go to heaven or what it means to follow God, but just when it comes to passages that are very interesting to us, this is one of those. In our Sunday morning class with the young adults and the college-age students, we've been looking at the plagues, the ten plagues. And when you examine something like the Ten Plagues, there's a lot of nuggets in there that really encourage us as we think about how God worked through the plagues and the different things that happened there. But when it just comes down to interesting scriptures, John chapter 21 and verse 25 is one for me. Where John writes, and these are also, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Try to wrap your mind around that, that verse for just a moment, that thought that, that while there are so many things that happen to us that are not recorded, obviously, Jesus lived a full life, we might say. He didn't make it to maybe 70 or 80 or 90 as sometimes we do today, but, but he lived a full life, and yet his life was, we might say, pretty normal. It's just, just pretty normal. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was boring, right? Because there are so many things that are occurring and people that are coming to him and the healings and the raising from the dead and all of those things. But I would suggest it was a little normal. Did he not have to lay down and sleep at night? Did he not have to, to get up? In fact, in our class this morning to start, we were talking about whether or not we were morning people or you know on time or usually late. We were kind of joking about that. Did he not have to get up in the morning? Did he not have to eat? Did he not have to stop and rest? How many things happened in his life that were not boring, but just normal? And, and John says that, that imagine there's not enough paper in the world, there's not enough ink in the world that can contain all the things that Jesus did. And I would think that he is suggesting both from a 
healing kind of sense from the works that he was doing, but also just from the living kind of sense. And so when we think about that, and we go then to Matthew and Mark and Luke and even the rest of John, and we try to imagine what Jesus' day-to-day life was like, there are a lot of momentous occasions There are a lot of occasions on which major things happened that affected a lot of people. He fed 5,000. He walked on the water. He raised people from the dead. But there were also a lot of things that were just kind of going about his daily business. In Luke chapter 9 and verses 57 through 62, we find one of those occasions that what I usually say is if we're not careful, we just would read right over it and not think much about it. There's no major punch, there's no major healing or lesson that causes us to stop and say, wow, that's really amazing. It's just sort of his normal day-to-day traveling around. And what we want to do this morning is examine in this particular passage, there are three men that are mentioned and three lessons that we can learn as we think about our question. I don't have the question on the slide this morning, but if you have a bulletin, you've already seen it in the title. Our title this morning is, Are You Fit to follow. Are you fit to follow Jesus? You see, that's kind of what happens here in these few short verses. There's six verses. They're grouped together in couplets, if you will. Three men, two verses each, but three men and three lessons. See, Jesus doesn't look at them and ask the question, are you fit to follow? But between the exchange and the interaction, and he does actually use the word follow here, there's the question, Are you fit to follow Jesus? You know what I mean, right? We use this question a lot or this kind of phrase. Even our president has to go through a a physical fitness test of sorts to be examined by the doctors to determine if he's fit from a physical perspective maybe to serve as president. If If you are a policeman or you're going to go into the military, there's some kind of test you may have to take to see if you're fit from a physical sense maybe, to handle not only the physical nature of the job, but but maybe even the stresses of the job. We're tested oftentimes to see if we are fit to do a particular thing. But we don't always check ourselves to determine if we are fit to follow after Jesus. Again, it seems very insignificant as you look at this short passage, but there are three men and there are three questions that we want to examine together this morning. The first man is found in verses 57 and 58, and Luke records for us, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, I wrote down in my notes, this seems kind of just vague, right? It kind of leaves you scratching your head. And it's like some of those parables and things that Jesus would say that I wonder sometimes if, if the person standing in front of him is not like, well, I'm not sure what you mean there, Jesus. Can you elaborate a little further? Because it doesn't seem like very much is going on here. But what's Jesus's point? The point with this first man is that his problem is comfort. He's got a problem and his problem is comfort. And Jesus is making the point here that there will be sacrifice. There will absolutely, without a doubt, be sacrifice if you are a true follower. And I think that's the nature of the question, the way that Jesus phrases it. It's not just cut and dry. It's sort of this this question, this idea, this statement that if you are a true follower, you will have to sacrifice some things, and maybe those things are your comforts. You see, you could be like this guy 
What did this guy do? Well, he said something. That's all that we know is he said something. Have you ever said something and not followed up on it? Have you ever been a person that we say talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk? You see, you could be like this guy and all he does is seemingly say it. Lots of people say lots of things. And what Jesus' point is, you, if you say this, you are choosing to follow a poor homeless person. Do you know that? Do you recognize what you're saying? I'm thankful that you're saying it, but do you recognize that what you are saying is you want to follow a poor homeless person? In fact, look back before this particular section in verses 51 through 56 and notice, your Bible may have headings, notice that Jesus is rejected as he is passing through a particular area. Not only is this just a true statement, but it has just happened to him. It's just happened that he has had nowhere to lay his head because he has been rejected. And so the question for us is, are you willing, maybe for us, are you willing, you may have to go forward for me, Brian. Are you willing to make all the sacrifices? Are you willing to make, and I, I highlighted all there in a bit of a different color because it's true that we need to consider that very small word. Are you willing to make all the sacrifices? And you know what the question includes there is what Jesus says? Are you willi even willing to give up your pillow? Are you even willing to give up the comfort of your pillow? I just about a week ago got me a new pillow, right? That idea of buying us something that's comfortable and we lay our head down at night and you sink down to that pillow in that bed and it feels so, so good after a long and tiring day. Are you willing to give up your comforts? Are you willing to make all the sacrifices? Now, I will give you and, and admit here that even to me, it seems like we know very little about this exchange. And it seems very harsh to judge this man basically on his statement that he wants to follow Jesus. But based upon Jesus' answer and also the other two, the, to make three total men here, it seems as if he's just giving lip service and Jesus is saying, are you willing to make all the sacrifices and even your comforts such as your own pillow and your own bed? Because that's what I'm going through. You're choosing to follow a poor homeless person. Are you really willing to do what you just said? The other interesting part of this, of course, is that this is not news. Go back in your Bible. You may not even have to turn a page to Luke chapter 9 and verse 24. Jesus says, whoever loses his life, right? So this idea of having to give up comfort's not news. You go forward a few pages to Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. And Jesus says, whoever does not hate his own family. Losing your life, hating your family, what's the message? The message is you've got to be willing to give up your comforts. Are you willing to make all the sacrifices? It's not easy, it's not comfortable, and it's not even convenient. But when we examine this man in particular here, this man was not fit to follow Jesus. And the question we're asking this morning is, are you? Is comfort a problem for you? I say it's a problem for me sometimes because I like my comforts. And here in this country, we have a lot of comforts. And what we do then is we make a lot of Christians who like to try to straddle the fence. They're not willing to give up their comforts. They think that they can commit to and follow Jesus. They're fit to follow the master, but they're really not because they're not willing to give up their comfort. Number two, let's examine the second man this morning. Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 9, verses 59 and 60. 
Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. So here's our second man. And he kind of is maybe standing there. This may have all taken place in one little group as Jesus is traveling along. But here is this second man. And he says, or Jesus says to him, excuse me, here in this case, follow me. Are you fit to follow me? But we see, we look at this second man and we see that his problem is excuses. He doesn't ask the question. He doesn't make the statement, at least as it's recorded for us. Jesus says to him, follow me. And what does he have? He's got an excuse. Now, again, some people would say, wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute, Jesus. This seems really harsh. Are you saying to me that burying our loved ones and funerals are wrong? That seems like that's taking it a step too far. In fact, I just mentioned a moment ago, we had a funeral here. We took time to think about someone who had passed away. Jesus, are you saying that having a funeral is wrong? But here's the thing about this man. His problem is not in the burying. Notice what he said again there in verse number 59. His problem is not in the burying. His problem is in the first. What does he say? Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, there's some kind of question when you talk to commentators and and other people who study this about whether or not his father was already dead. Some people say, well, his father was dead and he needed to go bury his father. Others say that maybe his father was nearing death and he needed to go care for him for a short time and then bury him and then he would come and follow Jesus. It seems a little harsh, but when you understand that Jesus seems to be pointing out here that his problem is not the burying, it is not sinful to hold a funeral, the problem is in the first. We often say it another way sometimes in our lessons. And we said his problem might be excuses, but maybe his problem is idolatry. That's what we've talked about in previous lessons, haven't we? Haven't we? We've talked about idolatry. And what's our working definition of of idolatry? Our working definition and example is, is that idolatry is anything that takes the place of God. That's what we've always said. That it doesn't matter if it's a statue, it doesn't matter if it's a person, it doesn't matter if it's a sport, it doesn't matter if it's the green paper that's in your wallet, it doesn't matter what it is, anything that's in the place of God is idolatry. And what place should God require? First. Now I included on the slide here his son simply because we're talking about Jesus this morning. And really as they are both God in that sense, it's true. But anything. So maybe his problem is excuses, but maybe also his problem is idolatry. His problem is, or the lesson he needed to learn, is that there is nothing that should be in the place of Jesus. Because when we think about it, there there will always be things that get in the way of putting Jesus first. It's just a fact. Think about your life. Think about the life you've lived so far Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a sickness like cancer. Maybe it's some kind of illness that puts you in the hospital or puts you to bed for a long period of time. There will be something that gets in the way of your serving Jesus if you allow it to. Appreciated even Gabe mentioning our study on Wednesday night. And we've been talking about our money and being a good steward of our things that we have. And one thing we've said about that is there will always be a place for our money to go here on this earth. 
that when it comes to giving to God, we should give first to God because if we say, well, I got to pay the bills and I got to buy the food and I got to buy the clothes and I got to change the oil, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? There will always be other things that can take our money, but if we give to God first, then we'll find and take care of the other things that need to be taken care of. I suggest to you it's a pretty common principle here as well. What happens is, is if we say, well, I've got to work and I've got to sleep and I've got to be with my wife and I need to be with my kids and I've got to go to these functions and then we decide we're going to serve Jesus, there will always be things that come in the way. There will always be obligations. There will always be things that come up that get in the way of putting Jesus first unless we simply put him first. We simply realize that the problem is, is that he needs to be in the first place in our life. Now, this is not the same people gathered here, but I've already, already pointed out Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Jesus gives the same message there, does he not? As you read through chapter 9, he moves. This is not maybe the same people that are standing there. But I do think it's interesting that even if he's not around the same people, wherever he goes, he's preaching the same message. Take up your cross and follow me. Put me first. Now, what Brother Wayne Jackson in his New Testament commentary that I love to study, I love to refer to you, he, he kind of put this a couple of different ways. One thing he said is that there is nothing intrinsically wrong with burying a loved one. We've already said that. But there is everything wrong with pushing Christ to the back of the line. I told you I don't think it's a sin to have a funeral. I don't. I don't think it's a sin to bury your loved ones. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with burying a loved one. But there is everything wrong with pushing Christ to the back and making sure that we're taking care of everything else in this world first and then finding what little time we have left for Jesus. He also said it this way. You may have a question about that phrase in verse number 60. Let the dead bury their own dead. Maybe this is the better way to say it. Leave the spiritual dead... Those who are not physically dead, they've got breath in their lungs, they've got blood in their body, but they're spiritually dead. Leave the spiritually dead to bury their own physical dead. Because if you want to be spiritually alive, you've got to follow Jesus. You've got to make sure that he's first place. And you cannot have excuses in your life, whether it be a funeral or whether it be the myriad of other things that sometimes get in the way. Once again, this man was not fit to follow are you? Is it comfort that gets in the way for you or is it excuses? Let's examine the third man in verses 61 through 62 here. Verses 61 through 62, we read again, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So once again, can I suggest that I agree? Here is a second reasonable request, right? I mean, the first guy says, let me go and bury my father. The second guy says, let me go and say goodbye to my loved ones, right? It's a reasonable request, is it not? But what Jesus offers is also a perfect, perfectly reasonable explanation as well. The question I have for you in this last point is, have you ever done anything while not looking have you ever tried to accomplish a task while not looking at exactly what you're doing? Uh, 
we like to throw the football around at my house sometimes out in the yard, and the boys have, have taken to follow, following some of these new-age quarterbacks. I know some of you old-school guys are going to get really mad at this. Some of these new-age young quarterbacks that think they're hot shots, and there's even one in particular that runs around, and he runs towards the sideline, and he's looking this way, and he throws it that way, right? And somehow he always hits his guy. I don't know. He's just really good like that. But it's, it's doing something and not looking at where you're trying to go. Have you ever tried to do anything like that before? Because you see, this man's problem was exactly that. His problem was focus. Where his focus was. That's not a new problem when we think about focus. In fact, it's a purely, not only a physical problem for us still today, but I would suggest it's also a biblical problem. If you have your Bibles, let's look at two biblical examples real quick. Going back to the Old Testament, first of all, the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 11, we see that the children of Israel are barely out of Egypt. They have survived Pharaoh. They have survived the beatings and the building they've had to do. And they're finally free. But once again, I pick on my kids a lot. Just like we leave Dunlap to go to the beach on vacation and we're not five minutes outside the city limits and somebody says, I've got to use the bathroom, or are we there yet, right? These people are barely out of Egypt, and they're already looking back, right? In verse number 11, it says, Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die? To die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Or go forward to chapter 16 in verse number 3. And I like to say here that their feet are barely on dry land. Now the caveat there, of course, is that they walk through the Red Sea on dry land, right? But imagining that they've just passed through this body of water, albeit miraculously and on dry land, their feet are barely on the shoreline and they're already complaining. Chapter 16 in verse number 3. The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I'll be honest. I feel that as a parent, right? Again, I joke about my kids, but I feel that when you're going somewhere and you're on the trip and you know it's going to take seven, eight, nine hours to get there. And instantly there's complaining in the vehicle, right? About being hungry or tired or hot or having to use the bathroom. And, and when I think about Moses leading them out and not once, but twice here, what's their problem? Their problem is, is they're looking backwards, they keep looking back at Egypt and thinking that it was better than what God was leading them to. Even in Genesis chapter 19, what about Lot's family? You know the story well, right? In Genesis chapter 19 and verse number 17, it is said to do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. And in verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back. Looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Two early examples of people who are not focused on what God said to be focused on, on how he would deliver them, but too busy looking back. Have you ever tried to plow in a straight line? Maybe not. Not in the same way that, that happens sometimes with other people. You know, we've got a big garden plot. It's, I don't know how wide it is, but it's a good size. So when I go to try to use the tiller and plow it a little bit, it doesn't matter if I go in a straight line because I can just, you know, got this big square of land. 
But people who farm and have straight lines that they've got to keep straight, have you ever tried to plow a straight line? That's what Jesus' question is here, is it not? This man says, let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus makes this statement about plowing that we don't quite understand. Let me give you a couple of real life examples. Now, I had a picture just like this, and I couldn't find it on my phone, so I had to pull this one from the internet. But I don't think you need to talk to Marshall to know, as the director of a soccer league, that that's probably not going to fly when it comes to what the way the line should look on a soccer field, right? You're going to have issues when you have lines that are, are, are crooked, right? Things that, that get in the way. How might that happen? I don't know exactly, but I can tell you one thing. If somebody's pushing and they're looking back while they're trying to push a straight line, it's probably going to turn up something like that. One other example from my family, some of you have been to our house before, and this is our driveway. And it looks really, you know, simple there. But what you can't quite tell in the picture is to the right side and the left side, there's a lot of ruts. Because one of our favorite pastimes in our family is to watch people try to back down our driveway, right? Because what happens is, and you can't quite tell there, but it's a hill. And some of you have been to our house and you know. And as they're trying to back down that driveway and it starts curving, they often run off one side or the other. And we like to watch people who aren't experienced in backing up kind of do that. But what's the problem? The question is, have you ever tried to drive, maybe not backwards, but have you ever tried to drive straight while looking backwards? Now, all you parents better say yes, because I know that you've been spotting at kids in the back while you've been trying to drive, right? And that's when you start running off the road, because you're not looking forward. You've taken your focus off the thing in front, and you start worrying about the thing in the back. It happens. When we take our eyes off the prize, when we change our focus, then we're going to end up where we shouldn't be. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. We cannot keep going forward while we're looking behind. We must keep the right focus. By the way, this is, again, not a new thing. In Luke chapter 5 and verse number 11, it makes mention that some of these disciples, when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. What's the contrast here? Whoever this man is in Luke chapter 9, he's wanted to look back and say, let me go back and take care of these personal things. And those disciples, at least in that moment, seem to say, we're dropping everything we have right here and we're following after you. Turn over one more passage to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10. This is one of the saddest pictures in Scripture because Paul writes to Timothy and says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me. Paul says there's a man who has left me and gone away from serving the Lord. Why is that? He gives the answer. Having loved this present world. What's Demas' problem? Demas will not keep following Paul because Demas is looking back. When we say that you've got to forsake all, that you have to leave everything behind and follow Jesus, this is why. Because Demas is a warning that if we continue to look back, we will have a problem. And that's the simple phrase here. Folks, it's pretty simple. You cannot. You simply cannot look back. You cannot have the wrong focus and follow Jesus. And that was this man's problem. Not focusing on Jesus. So then the statement is made. This man was not fit to follow. Are you? Are you fit to follow the master? 
Or maybe your problem is comfort. Or maybe your problem is excuses. Or maybe even your problem is focus. You see, Jesus encountered lots and lots of people on the road. He encountered some that he healed. He encountered some that he just spoke to. But as he encountered person after person, some followed after him. And some were not fit to follow. And so it begs the question, are you fit to follow? Maybe your problem is comfort. Maybe it's comfort in that you don't want to leave the comfortable things of this world. Maybe your problem is excuses. And it'll always be something. It'll always be something else that deserves your time and attention. Maybe your problem is focus. I will grant you that at least these last two men certainly make perfectly, perfectly reasonable statements. Let me care for my family. And I think that's reasonable to do in our lives. In fact, the Bible kind of says we are to care for our children. We are to care for our parents as they age. That's true. But does that take first place in our lives? Are we fit to follow Jesus because we're willing to forsake our family? Because he also says we have to hate our father and our mother and our brother and our sister. What's the middle ground, Jesus? We have to follow him first. In doing so, one of the ways that we show that we are Christians is we do care for our family. But we have to put Jesus first and focus on him. As we ask the question this morning, are you fit to follow? The question comes about, are you even a child of God? Have you committed to following Christ before? By obeying God's simple simple plan of salvation. We put this slide up almost every service because it's the most important thing that a person can do in this life. And if you're here today and you've never done that, we will be singing in a moment to encourage you. We put it up here because it's a simple reminder that if you've not studied or you want to know more, we would study with you as soon as possible. The way to heaven is made possible by the blood of Jesus. And the way we come in contact with that blood is in baptism. Submitting to him by going through exactly what he went through. He went through a death, a burial, and a resurrection. We die to ourselves, we're buried in water, and we rise again to walk in newness of life. And then we are added to the church by the Lord. Maybe you're here and you've done that in times past, but you've wandered away. You've struggled to remain faithful. You were fit to follow, but now you are no longer fit to follow because something has changed. You don't have to worry, brother or sister. You can come to him. You can come to the front in just a moment as one of our elders will be here to receive you and to pray with you and for you. We're thankful that we're not struck dead the first time. And I even usually say we're thankful we don't have to be baptized time and time again. We can repent of our sins and confess them before God and he is just and he's willing to forgive us. The beautiful part of being together on a day such as today is to worship, is to study, is to partake of the Lord's Supper together, and it's also to encourage one another, even now as we stand together and as we sing.